You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking a beat or something, and yeah. punch him right in the face. Punch the little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast, and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out. All right, welcome in. Episode 103 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Jadon. With me remotely, as always, Spencer Maddox. Uh, sort of a light episode today. We're going to talk some hoops. We're becoming hoop heads now that football season is done. Spencer, uh, this is your prime zone, dude. How you living? I'm living good, dude. And like we said before the pod, this is where we weed out all the fake sports fans. You know what I mean? This is where you weed out the pretenders from the contenders for the sports fan crown. You know what I mean? Yes. Because we're all we're all vying for that. Yeah, um, it's easy to be a sports fan during football season, but this is what yeah. separates the pretenders and the contenders. When football is done, can you still be a diehard sports fan, even when baseball is in a lockout, even when no one cares about college basketball, and even right. when the NBA – the NBA decides to have its all-star break, Spencer. The, like Basically, the moment that football ends, NBA, the next biggest thing on the schedule, takes its week-long break right when football ends. It's not fair to take away football and then take away basketball at the same time. It's just not fair. Yeah, it also makes no sense where the NBA All-Star, you know, weekend is, like, the schedule, in terms of the schedule, makes no sense. So, like, 50, what is it, 52 games have already been played, almost two-thirds of the season. Every other league has it basically halfway through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why not move it just up just a little bit before the Super Bowl? And why would you want to take advantage of – football finally being done, why wouldn't you want to have, like, be coming back from your all-star break right when football ends, you know what I mean? They should take the exactly. all-star break around the Super Bowl. Yeah. Take the all-star week between the conference playoff games and the Super Bowl. There's that week off. Do it then, you know. Then you got, like, the, the spotlight on you for the all-star game. Then you come back and you're playing basketball games right around the time of the Super Bowl. Maybe don't exactly. have any games the day of the Super Bowl. Makes sense to me, you know. I'm not a genius here, but that's how I would do it. I agree. You know who does it right? Who's that? Coach's Corner. They do it perfect. Coach's Corner, our title sponsor for the Hawkers podcast. If you want to call ahead or visit them at 3016 East Victory Drive, you can call your order in ahead of time, 912-352-2933. Visit them at coaches.net. Cold beers, hot wings, 314 billion televisions that's a big number big number there tell your server or bartender that the hot Reds podcast sent you and they will hook it up over there for you owner john henderson and coach's corner number one sports bar in savannah sponsoring the number one sports podcast in savannah it's a perfect match uh spencer we talked about brandon bain rubbing and grubbing nascar show right. last week on last week's episode he chimed back at you on yeah. his on his Rubbin' and Grubbin' show this past week. And last but not least, I do have to give these guys a big shout out to Travis and Spencer over there on Hot Grits. Uh, Lawrence listened uh, a little bit upset with me because I hadn't been shouting them out the past couple weeks. Hell, man, it, it's been so long since I seen you. I didn't even know you were still doing the damn show, man. That's my own damn fault. 
Uh, there's a couple more square dollars to get rid of all of it that I got tonight. But a uh, big shout out to Travis and Spencer out there. Check out Hot Grits Podcast anywhere that you listen to your podcast, man. Uh, those guys are hilarious, breaking down everything in sports, and uh, they do some fun stuff, man. And, and Travis, I did see Travis a couple months back, but Spencer... Man, I mean, you might as well call him Jimmy Hoffa because I ain't seen him since he left last, man. But uh, I hope to see him again. I know we'll put on some charity events this year, and they know it's nothing but love, man. Love you guys. A little bit off on my Super Bowl picks, by the way, fellas. I apologize about that. I heard that, dude. I heard that, dude. He called me uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, dude. Was wondering where you've been. Thought about putting you on a milk carton and called you Jimmy Hoffa. I love uh, that. I I wanted to know what he's got against the Teamsters, dude. Ooh, because I, for one, stand with the people, the good working class people of America. Um, I'm now starting to question if Brandon Bain, you know, if, if he does. So uh, wow. I'd like to get his opinion on that. Um, and don't speak ill of the great, late, great Jimmy Hoffa. Um, you know, all those so crimes are alleged. You take it as a legend. compliment. You take it as a compliment <laughs> that he calls you Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, I'm just playing. I need to swing by a coach just soon, man. I, I miss those honey dijon barbecue wings. Yeah, dude, you do, and you need to tell them that the Hot Grits podcast sent you. Also, check out uh, Carl well, it's, Demasi it's tough on being Saturday a hot mornings. Podcaster, dude, my schedule, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know you're a busy man. Um, yeah. Well, check out uh, Brandon Bain's Rubbin' and Grubbin' show on Wednesday night. He'll probably be recapping the Daytona 500, pretty big NASCAR race. Ever heard of it? Um, you can find that on YouTube, Rubbin' and Grubbin', or on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. Uh, Spencer, it was the NBA's All-Star Weekend this past weekend. Um, I got some mixed takes on this. Do you want to start? Let's start with the contest, the three-point contest and the dunk contest. Um, my how far we have fallen when the NBA's dunk contest, the finals, consisted of household names, Juan Toscano Anderson versus Obi right. Toppin. How brutal is that? And like, do we even care about the dunk contest being good anymore? Does anybody care? No, I'm tired of seeing big men in the dunk contest. All right. Like, yes, sure. Blake Griffin was great. All right. That was a one in a million thing. Aaron Gordon. Great. Obi Toppin. Ugh. Yeah. It doesn't you know, move the needle, man. Does not move the needle. It, it doesn't. Where's John Morant at? You know, that's what I kept asking myself. That's what we all really want to see is the little guy that can bounce. Yeah, but none of the stars want to be in the NBA dunk contest anymore. I don't understand why. Like, it it is – if the stars were in it, wouldn't it be prestigious enough to – like, it would be enough if a star was in it and he won it. That would be enough to, like, boost your brand a little bit to make it worth doing, I would think, right? Like, what what if, you know – Jordan did it notably. You know what I mean? Yeah, all the stars used to do it. Now it's just like, it's like almost like it's not cool anymore. Like you don't want to be the only superstar in it. And I mean, that starts at the top with guys like LeBron. I mean, LeBron has never done the dunk contest, has he? No, he has not. I mean, that's, that stinks, you know? That's not cool at all. KD has never done the dunk contest the league's best players have never been in the dunk contest and it was it pretty much started with lebron i i don't remember if kobe ever was in it either honestly i think he was in it once i think he was in it early in his career yeah i want to say he was but i was like a child at that point so you'll have to forgive me if my memory doesn't go back that far you are forgiven 
Thank you. But yeah, I mean, you got to say this starts with LeBron, right? Like people wanted him in it every year. I remember this being a thing in like the early 2000s through, you know, my high school and college years, people on ESPN, they were calling for him basically to be in it. And he was just never interested in it. And when the biggest guy in the sport isn't doing it, it then kind of becomes a little passe, right? Like now yeah, it's like they take, the their cues from, they take their cues from the best player in the league or the yeah. best players in the league. And when guys like that aren't in it, it just, it tumbles. And, it, you know, it's well, not yeah. even secondary stars anymore. Like Juan Toscano Anderson being in the NBA dunk finals is an embarrassment yeah. to the league. But, yeah, it's a definite problem when people like Juan Toscano Anderson and Obi Toppin are in the finals of the dunk contest. Nobody is going to remember Obi Toppin won the 2022 dunk contest uh, a year from now. They probably don't know it two days two days after the fact that Obi Toppin won the NBA dunk dunk contest. But people do remember Spencer. They do remember like Spud Webb winning. They remember Dominique Wilkins, Vince Carter, Michael Jordan, like even Dwight Howard. They remember those kind of performances in the dunk contest. But to me, it doesn't, I, I guess the bigger question is, Spencer, does the NBA even care that the dunk contest has fallen off so far? Like, it doesn't seem to be one of their priorities. No, I, I mean, I think they're doing so much with the All-Star game itself. They're, they're going to have to revisit it at some point, though, right? Like, th- it feels like some kind of change is going to come to the dunk contest. But we've gotten all these changes to the All-Star game, the new target score, yada, 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 like, they're doing it by quarter now, which I didn't fully understand and didn't honestly didn't try to understand. Um, so they're trying all these things with the actual game. It feels like they're going to do something with the dunk contest at some point. It it almost seems like they just haven't gotten around to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's not high up on the priority list, which I could, yeah. you know, I understand that. Certainly there's bigger issues going on in the league, in this league, than the dunk contest. But I, I think – Pretty clearly, this every year that they have it, it, it seems to be the worst year they've ever had. Does that make right. sense for the dunk contest? Like it's yes. getting it's getting incrementally worse by the year. I don't know how much worse it can get than Obi Toppin versus Juan Toscano Anderson. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll probably find out next year. It'll probably be Bruno Fernando in the finals. Yeah, it's gonna get so bad. It's gonna get to the point where it's like oh, the Olympics. You remember when we got like bronze, lost to Greece all those years ago. And then all the studs came out and were like, we can't have this. You know what I mean? This is yeah. an embarrassment. And they, the, you know, that the Olympics was that mattered, you mean? The Summer Olympics? Yeah. Did you even know yeah. the Winter Olympics just ended? Um, I, dude, I watched a little bit. I, uh, <laughs> I like the one, I like the one game where they're, first off, they're games. You know what I mean? This isn't sports. Let's be real. These are <laughs> games. And I like the one where they do the skiing and then, like, they shoot targets for some reason, and then they go back to skiing. I don't really know what they're preparing for. It almost seems like like the Winter Warfare games or something, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like I've seen that in the James Bond movie, but I don't know. I, I did like that. I thought that was fun. But, yeah, there's almost no stakes to me to the Winter Olympics, similar to a dunk contest. No, yeah. I mean, Honestly, I would... If you had to watch the Winter Olympics or the dunk contests, which one are you watching? I guess it depends on what event it is. I've always liked men's hockey in the Olympics. Like I, I don't like hockey, but anything with right. Americans in it, I'm probably rooting for. And then, you know, the Olympic hockey tends to have way more scoring 
than the NHL. So I think I'd rather watch that. But if it was like, if it's like right, curly, so here, here we I go. can't watch here we that. Go. I'll, I'll, I'll like, uh, I'll, I'll set the parameters. So anything where, so no hockey and nothing where they're jumping more than like 10 feet in the air. You know what I mean? Not the, the big halftime half pipe events, which are obviously awesome. None of that. It's just all the other events. You're watching that no, or the dunk contest? I'm watching Obi Toppin versus Juan Toscano Anderson in the I dunk agree. contest. <laughs> for sure. Which says a lot about the Winter Olympics. Uh, we'll catch the Olympics uh, probably like on episode 350 for the 2024 yeah. Paris Games. So we'll catch you guys then for the Olympics. <laughs> um, all right. Well, stay, stay, stay on the NBA All Star game. Uh, three point contest. Any takes? Your boy Trey Young got ousted by Carl Anthony Towns. Everybody did. Carl Anthony Towns ended up winning the event. Any takes from the three-point contest? Um, no, I actually didn't watch it. The only thing I watched was Trey's round. So <laughs> I was happy that he was in it, you know. I thought that was cool, but that's about it. That's my only take. Yeah, worthy performance. They try to do the three-point contest a little differently with, like, money balls and with a, with a uh, three-point ball, like, two three-point shots. Um, so they do change it up a little bit. What's unbearable is listening to the commentating during the three-point contest because it's the same thing over and over again. Like, oh, he has to make this one, and then he misses it. Yeah. And then he hits like four in a row. They're like, oh, he's back in it. He has to make this one, and then he misses it. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, Dwayne Wade and Reggie Miller were just struggling the whole time during yeah. the dunk contest. It was sort of funny to listen to. I'd, I'd like to see them add some, like, a dribbling aspect to the three-point contest, make it a little bit more realistic as opposed to just standing there and shooting, you know, over and over and over again. Maybe that yeah. would be a little bit more exciting. Maybe some deeper shots as well, you know, like some Steph Curry range stuff. Then we'd actually get a better idea of who the better shooter was. Um, I don't know. Not my cup of tea, though. I I will say this. I'll power rank the All-Star Weekend events. The All-Star game is at the top, even though it's that's a low bar to set. Then I'd probably save a dunk contest. Then I'd probably save a three-point contest. And then the skills competition way at the bottom. I didn't the even, skills competition I didn't even, is a non-factor, dude. I did not watch it. Don't know who won it. Don't know, don't what know it who won it either. What's up, HGP fam? It's Travis. I'm here to tell you guys about Braddy Electric. Since 1970, Braddy Electric has been the number one electric company in Savannah for industrial, residential, and commercial electrical needs. Call Braddy Electric today at 912-232-3240 or visit them at 1104 East 35th Street. That's Braddy Electric in Savannah since 1970. 912-232-3240. Uh, the All-Star game, though, Team LeBron won it on a LeBron game winner. Uh, they had the alternate Elam ending, obviously. Um, it was a really, really like competitive game, especially in the fourth quarter, quote-unquote, so right. to speak. Like, when they had the target score um, posted, like, it was really fun to watch. Um, I thought it was crazy, dude. Steph Curry just went fucking off in the NBA All-Star game. I don't remember the last time I saw 50 points. In an all-star game. Anthony yeah. Davis notably did it. Uh, he scored 52, and they were they were saying that. Uh, Steph even said on the bench, he was mic'd up, obviously. He said on the bench, uh, what's the record for points? 
and he got to 50. He didn't quite get to 52. Well, he but, tried down the stretch. He clanked a couple oh, yeah. three-pointers down the stretch, but he tried. I didn't know Anthony Davis had 52, though. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, how nutty is that? The the shot that was most impressive to me out of all those all of, out of all those threes that Steph made, the shot that was most impressive to me was when the defense had already tightened up. They were everybody was clearly trying to win. He hits this crazy. You know what shot I'm talking about? He hits this crazy runner over the backboard off one foot and like oh, yeah. one, one arm. Nuts, dude! And it was a shot that mattered. And I don't think I've seen like. I, I don't know that that was up there in craziest things I've ever seen in a you know in a fourth quarter of a game. Especially when he gets hot, when Steph gets going, you can see after the ball goes in the net, he doesn't. He's not even running or jogging anymore. He's like hopping around, skipping around. Yeah. You can t- you can tell when this guy's heating up, and it's scary for yeah. the rest of the league. Exactly. I, I think he's already solidified himself as the greatest shooter of all time. I don't know that that's like too much up for debate anymore. But he's on a trajectory, and that's what the kind of thing I'm talking about with the dunk contest. Like, people are going to remember that Steph Curry scored 50 in an all-star game. Like, that matters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though it's an all-star, that's going to build his brand even more, and it'll be down on his Hall of Fame resume, but it'll be on there. It'll be on the plaque that he scored 50 in an yeah. all-star game. Oh, yeah. The all-star game MVP matters, for sure. People bring it up when they talk about Jordan and Kobe and all those guys. Yeah, LeBron so, I mean, desperately wanted to win that in Cleveland. Just a kid from Akron. Just a kid from Akron is LeBron James. <laughs> and thank God he didn't it, win it. It was cool. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're not LeBron guys here, but that game-winning shot was cool, right? Like, that was that was a cool Yeah, moment. dude, it looked sort of weird. Like, I didn't even know it went in at first. Yeah, I thought it was about to be an air ball. The way, like, the line of it looked like he's about to miss this left. And, you know, sure enough, it rattled in. That was pretty crazy. Yeah, so uh, NBA will pick back up later this week. Um, your Atlanta basketball franchise, Spencer, um, two-game winning streak going into the All-Star break. They are 10th tenth, tenth in the Eastern Conference with a 28-30 and 30 overall record. Um, any thoughts on them? I think we're not going to really change our seeds. Last episode, you had eight-seed ceiling. I had 10-seed ceiling. I don't know that anything's happened since then to change them, but any thoughts on, on the Atlanta professional basketball franchise? Well, I think their goal for the second half has changed. You know what I mean? With everybody getting better, uh, just where they are in the standings. Um, I think the realistic goal for them is the six seed and the must happen goal is get a home game for a playoff play in game. You know what I mean? You don't want to have to, you don't want to have to win twice to be in the playoffs in a play-in game scenario. You know what I mean? For Even sure. though all those play-in teams, I think they're probably going to be better than. Um, you don't want to be playing double elimination for your life in the playoffs as a team that just went to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they shorten up the lineups a little bit heading down the stretch. Um, if they can get hot again, because this they're certainly capable of, you know, rattling off five, six wins in a row in bunches. They've done it before. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm nervous about the second half, man. This could go one of two ways. And if Trey misses any amount of time, we potentially talking about a team that doesn't make the playoffs. So they put themselves in a hole, man. But we can't yeah. have that. We can't have them not making the NBA playoffs. That would be tough. I think that it's a big second tough. half for them, though, dude. This is a big second half for them, not just for this year, but 
moving forward in general, if if they fade, like they definitely can fade um, yeah. down the stretcher. And if they somehow don't make the playoffs, you got to consider, I think, I don't know about blowing it up, but you got to consider changing the philosophy all in all. I mean, they went depth over, they went depth over top heavy talent, which is a fine strategy, but clearly that's been the strategy. And clearly this year it's not working. So if it gets worse right. from here, if it gets worse from here, we could be looking at a drastic change for Atlanta and I would be all for it because if it's not going to work this year and look, not making the playoffs would be, you know, not working would be an understatement if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, a lot of right. people had them ticketed to be Eastern conference contenders and to even be talking about them as not making the playoffs is kind of crazy. Right. I, I, uh, <laughs> The roster construction thing kind of is what it is. Like, I'm not an M NBA GM, but I can see issues with this team from a scheme perspective that I think comes down to, like, head coaching philosophy. And I think that would be the first thing to go. I, I think if this team doesn't make the playoffs, I think you see Nate McMillan get fired, which would be shocking. Um, but we knew yeah, he wasn't going to get fired we at all this year. About 12 months ago, it would be shocking to see – Right. I mean, he's what? He's one year into his coaching tenure, right? In, in Atlanta. I mean, he, Lloyd Pierce was fired. This is at the his first year, year as a head coach. This is his first year as a full time head coach. Last year, he was an intern. But, but he got the interim job about a year ago this week, right? Yes. Yes. So, I mean. So the record's not stellar either. I mean, it's, it's okay. Um, especially when you look at the talent he's got. And obviously, he has the big playoff run. Um, and the guys really like rallied around him and that's huge. Like effort for this team is way bigger of an issue than it should be. So that was huge that he got that out of that team. You know what I mean? Um, but with a, with a player like Trey, who's so unique and his strengths are almost as glaring as his weaknesses. You know what I mean? You almost have to have the perfect system around him, um, defensively. And offensively, honestly, to maximize his strengths, and I don't think they're coming even close to that. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much I put on like Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan's head or the coaching staff's head, but I do need, I do know that if you're gonna go ahead and say Trey's the alpha dog in Atlanta as he good well should be, um, you got to have a better game plan about him than this, man. Like what what they've done so far has not been it, and I think do they they hunt mismatches. I, I've heard Brad say this, and I've seen this with my own eyes. They hunt mismatches like all the time and go away from Collins all the time when he's got like the hot hand. It's, it's so frustrating, like to see the way this team has been schemed. And, uh, I do think there's a large possibility that he will be fired if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, I agree Long with ways. you. I agree with you. Um, all right, well, let's move on. First, John Carr Real Estate. John Carr, the number one real estate agent in the Savannah area, 912-228-0916, 912-228-0916. In January of 2022, John Carr sold $1.7 million in houses for Seaport Real Estate. So call him today if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in this area. Nobody knows the area like John Carr, and nobody will hook it up for you better then he will. Buying, selling, or just want to learn more about the market, call our guy John Carr today. 912-228-0916, 912-228-0916, and tell him the Hot Grits podcast 
sent you. Uh, I'm sticking with hoops, Spencer. College hoops, like we said, football's done. We need to become college hoops experts. Um, after having not watched any college basketball basically all year, um, I have watched more and more the last ten days or so since the end of football. Um, and the NCAA net rankings have come out. The first net rankings ahead of the January 13th uh, selection Sunday, or I'm sorry, March 13th selection Sunday. Uh, it seems like Gonzaga is well on its way to winning another regular season national championship. Um, it seems like the SEC has plenty of talent. But look, we can't really break down college basketball just yet. But we can talk about what happened between Wisconsin and Michigan on Sunday afternoon. I, I know you didn't have a chance to see this, Spencer, but the listeners probably have by this point. And it was so funny to watch Jawan Howard straight up mush Greg Gard, the Wisconsin, or not Greg Gard, the Wisconsin coach, but the assistant coach for Wisconsin after Wisconsin beat Michigan. Jawan Howard just straight up mushed the assistant coach for Wisconsin. And it was an all out melee there for about two or three minutes. Um, after Wisconsin knocked off Michigan. This is the kind of shit I love to see. A coach fight, a good old-fashioned coach handshake line fight, gets the guys going. Absolutely. Juice running, dude. I'm kind of shocked, dude, because usually listeners of the pod, whenever something like this happens, listeners will, like, immediately send this to me on Twitter or, like, as a text message video. You know what I mean? And I didn't get anything from the G-Fam, dude. Nothing. I didn't hear about it until we were about to start recording. So this is on you guys. Oh, it's, it's not on you. you. It's on the listeners for not alerting you to probably the biggest sports story of Sunday. Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> how I'm them. shifting the blame. Yeah. All right. I like that. I like that spin zone. Um, well, look, I don't know if we really want to break down college basketball yet. We We certainly don't know enough about it yet. But do you want to pick some teams that you think could be Final Four contenders? I got – I like Kansas and Kentucky, the two Ks. You know what year. I'd rather do? I'd, I'd, I'd rather okay. go ahead and pick our team that we're going to be a fan of for the second half. You know what I mean? This is what I do every year. I used to be a Duke fan. I realized that there's no reason for me to be a Duke fan, really. Like, that's not, you know. So if I'm going to be a bandwagon college basketball fan, I'm just going to be a bandwagon college basketball fan every year. So I pick my team, you know, right around this time. What's, what's your team that you're following? I know you're a UNC fan, but, I mean, come on. No, they're what's terrible. They're tough to yeah. watch. I, I mean, like, the team that I really like watching the most is Kansas because, like, they have a legitimate inside presence, and they play back-to-the-basket basketball, but they also are throwing up a bunch of three-pointers, going at a ridiculous pace. Like, they're fast. Um, and then also Kentucky is super, super good. They put up 90 on Alabama uh, this weekend, Spencer, without two of their starters. And wow. for college basketball to be where it is, where teams are oftentimes scoring in the 60s and it's nearly unwatchable, the SEC has plenty of teams that can score the rock, and Kentucky's one of them. So I like the two Ks, dude. It's Kentucky and Kansas for me. I, I might like would take I like, those two over the field if I had to pick now. I like Auburn, dude, even though they just lost to Alabama, I believe, which was an awesome game. They lost to Florida. Um, Florida, that's right. Florida, my bad, my bad. Florida, that was an awesome game, though. Uh, did you watch that game at all? Yeah, I watched some of it. It was a badass game. Um, and Auburn has slipped by a few teams, but I think most people consider them and Gonzaga to be the clear number one and number two. Uh, Arizona's yeah. really good 
as well out on the West Coast. But I, I think this is one of those years in college basketball where you could see a legitimate five, six, seven seed make a run to the Final Four, and that's when it's the best. That's when college basketball yeah. is the best, not when it's like Gonzaga and everyone else, or when it's Duke and everyone else, or Kentucky and everyone else. I mean, there's legitimately a dozen teams that can win yeah. all this year, which will make it fun come so st- come March 13th. Stating it now, Auburn is my 2022 bandwagon team of the year. I like Jabari Smith, dude. I like how they fly around. I like even in that uh, two-point loss the other night, they were down by 12, dude, with a minute to go. And they crawled back. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. It was it was nuts. And didn't even get a shot up to tie it. They had the ball, you know, with a chance to tie it. Didn't even get a shot up. They turned it over. But, you know, intense game. I'm on the bandwagon with Auburn, you know. We'll see where it goes. I've, I've always been a diehard Auburn fan. Yeah, always. always. Just like you were always a Bengals fan. Yeah. That turned out well. well that's, the, that's the whole bit, dude. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, it works. Yeah. All right, well, let's cut to yeah. some housekeeping stuff for the podcast, Spencer. You want to? Yes. Okay, I uh, wanted to first note, off the rip, Benedictine grad and former Hot Grits podcast Guest Carter Holton made his college debut Sunday for Vandy versus number eight Oklahoma State. Um, Holton took the loss, but he went 3.1 innings. Spencer struck out seven, including striking out the first four batters that he faced in his college career. Kid's going to be a stud. He's going to be a stud. Jeez, dude. Seven Ks first in four, 3.1 innings. First four baddies. See ya. I Have love a seat. it, dude. Shout out Have to Carter. Have a seat. Um, all yeah. right. Also, we sort of got after Mayor Van Johnson a few episodes ago. You guys may remember that when Spencer was yeah. the canal expert. Um, and we were talking yeah. about Mayor Van Johnson and St. Patrick's Day takes. Uh, Spencer, last week, the mayor's office emailed me back or emailed me, not emailed me back, and asked if we wanted to set up an interview with Mayor Van Johnson, and the way the, the email was phrased, it was pretty clear that someone in the mayor's office definitely heard uh, our, I think it was episode 101, when we talked about St. Patrick's Day and the mayor. Somebody definitely heard that in the office, and I think that the mayor is definitely interested in coming on. We'll learn more about that this week. So, Spencer, they reached back out to us, and they are interested in Doing an interview with Mayor Van Johnson, is that the kind of thing that I feel like you would be a little nervous about that, not so excited? Um, no, I'm not exactly nervous, but it was a tough listen to go back and listen to that last episode, knowing that the mayor was going to hear all that, you know. Um, we, we got after him so no, good. not nervous. Yeah, we did. Not nervous, um, but, you know. I do, <laughs> I do know that he's going to have more facts available to him than we will. So I'm going to have to do some more research. I'm going to have to back up my takes, that whole thing. Um, yeah, which no, is I'm a rarity excited, on this podcast, which is a rarity. Usually the takes are not backed up by facts in any manner at all. Hey, dude, I'm a feelings over facts guy. Feelings over facts. I like that. Um, make that T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we can make that happen coming down the stretch we can have uh the mayor come on hopefully before march madness so maybe later in february or or early march that's what we're hoping for that would be a must listen interview i think yeah i i'm uh 
I'm genuinely excited to hear what he has to say. I will say that. Um, you know, and I, I love that kind of interaction with the community. That That's awesome. And that shows how far we've come as a podcast. Um, yeah, I think so, too. I hope too, we don't get it, dunked on too hard. You know? Yeah, I, I, I like Mayor Van Johnson, like, minus 250 as a favorite in that debate. Yeah. <laughs> but but we should be able to hold our own. Yeah. And look, I, far, I, I have no problem, like, asking the questions and, like, making it awkward. Uh, the problem is that his answers will probably be way better than our answers. Hopefully he doesn't ask us any questions. Well, yes. See, that's the thing. That's, that's what we makes him the minus 250 is that, well, it's just, he's better spoken than we are, you know, unfortunately, like the, say what you want to say about him. The guy's well-spoken. Um, so there's that, but I mean, uh, you know, I still like, I still give myself a fighting chance, dude. I give myself a puncher's chance every now and then I come with gold, you know? So be on the lookout for that. Watch the left. Watch, dude, this is what I always say, man. I'm talented with the right, but I'm special with the left, all right? So watch that left hand. <laughs> Just when they're looking at the right, the problematic left comes in and downs yeah. them. Yep. I like that. Um, all right, well, let's wrap up here. Uh, we're going to get you guys to our interview with Brad Rowland um, of Peachtree Hoops, um, covering the Hawks and the Braves. We're going to talk Hawks and Braves with him. Um, in an interview that we recorded on Tuesday night uh, with Brad Rowland heading into the second half of NBA and also what should be the beginning of baseball spring training for the Bravos, but not looking like that's going to happen anytime soon as baseball is still in a lockout. Um, this is a really good interview. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, you'll learn a little something, you'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll tell your friends. Um, so stay right. tuned for that. Spencer, how do they find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Spencer Maddox underscore. Don't you dare forget that underscore. Trav, how do they find you? I'm at Jadon Sports at Podcast Grits for the show. Be sure to rate, subscribe, rate, subscribe. Spencer, just to be clear, our last four episodes have been, it's been the best four episode stretch that we've ever had as far as downloads and plays go. Um, so hopefully we are serving you guys, uh, you know, like you should be serviced, no homo on that. Right. That was a weird way to. That was a weird way to phrase it. Yeah. Why pause, did I just pause, say that? Sus, brother, sus, brother. Pause, pause. Till then, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Peace. All right, we're gonna get you guys now to our interview with Brad Roland. It's Brad's second time on the Hawkeritz podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at bt Roland at BT Roland. Also listen to him on the Locked On Hawks podcast and the Talking Chop podcast. Go to YouTube and subscribe to Brad's Locked On Hawks podcast. And again, you can listen to Talking Chop podcast anywhere you listen. All right, so here we go. Brad Roland for a second time on the Hawkers podcast. All right, Brad. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. I want to start first, if we can, um, with the Braves and just give you a chance uh, – to tell us what you think of the Freddie Freeman situation. I don't think we can really start with anything regarding the Braves until we address Freddie Freeman. Um, I want to ask it a little bit of a different way, though, um, if I can. So if the Braves were to give Freddie Freeman the six years that he wants and the contract that he's looking for, if they give in and give him that, how would that harm the Braves moving forward? Like what would the Braves say that that, that handicaps them from doing? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting just because they had that the clear bargains on Acuna and Albies compared to the market, and that kind of hurts their leverage to say anything financial right now. But at the same time, I think even the biggest Freeman fan knows that the end of that deal isn't going to be great, most likely. Like most of these deals for guys in their early 30s that are long-term don't end super well. And even though Freddie, I think, projects to age pretty gracefully, um, I think by year six, if he's making $35 million or whatever it is, full price, it's not going to end well. So maybe the argument against that is just that reality. But it's a tougher sell for the team right now because they just won the World Series and there's the momentum to keep it going and run it back. And, uh, of course, he's the face of the franchise and has been for almost a decade now. So I think that if they try to make that argument, um, there is some merit to it in terms of just a pure value standpoint at the end of the deal. But I don't think fans are going to like it. And I understand that completely because I wouldn't like it either. So if, if Freddie Freeman, if, if I guess, well, let me ask this first. All the stuff that's happening as far as the CBA not being negotiated yet um, and, and sort of the lockout since December 1st or the work stop, I don't know the correct way to term it, but since the CBA expired on December 1st, it seems like that that's hampered the Braves and Freeman from coming to a deal, but is it, is that the right way to think about it? Has that had any effect on Freeman not signing yet with the Braves? Like, wouldn't it be different if the CBA wouldn't have expired? I would tend to just say that, you know, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, they're not allowed to talk. So it's like this weird situation where it feels like the coverage has gotten more negative about him coming back to Atlanta and the chances of that, especially nationally. But if you you know follow the letter of the law, they can't really be negotiating right now. So maybe it's just like trying to fill the time and the fact that it, he didn't reach the agreement beforehand. Maybe the benefit of hindsight, like the you know the Braves could have signed him to a deal dating back a year. Like they could have, they could have got this done before the season started and then after the season. And um, we all kind of thought, including me, that it was going to be done you know before last spring training. It never got done. So maybe that just that pessimism is coming in. But I think the bigger thing almost is that whenever this lockout is lifted, teams are going to have to go really fast. You know, they're not going to be able to just take their time because like half of free agency is still left. And whenever they lift the lockout, they're going to want to be playing baseball in like four weeks. And that includes spring training and ramp yeah. up and filling out your roster, et cetera. So I'm not sure how that affects them, to be honest. Like maybe the two sides will just get close and get there in a hurry. But also, if you're the Braves and you want to just kind of avoid this long, drawn-out process, there's this school of thought out there that the Braves might move on, like make their best offer, and then if he says, if, if Freitas doesn't take it, they can move on. Like, I would be pretty surprised by that because can you imagine the PR if the Braves just, like, trade for a first baseman while Freitas is still a free agent? Like, it, I mean, it would, it would be, be brutal. Right. It would be, be mania. It would be mania. So I, I kind of see it on all sides. Like, Anthopolis – can't just wait forever, but he doesn't have the endless budget either. Like this is a team that's owned by a corporation. Like he has limits and Freddie is going to have other offers. So uh, we're all just waiting. Yeah. Kind Brad, of doesn't it kind of seem ahead. like, does, doesn't it kind of seem like this is set up to be a circus no matter what happens? <laughs> uh, you've got Freddie's contract negotiation happening. You've got the rumors about uh, trading for the first baseman out of Oakland, uh, Oakland. Excuse me. I think Matt Adams. That's his name. Matty Olson. Uh, Matt Olson. Olson. Yes. Olson. Excuse me. Excuse me. Basketball guy here. Uh, <laughs> you've got Acuna coming back. You've got uh, Soroka coming back. You've got Azuna coming back. All these, all these like crazy question marks in the air. And then the biggest one being Freeman. Doesn't it seem like 
like some kind of ball is going to drop here? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's obviously some goodwill when you win the World Series, um, and fans won't be maybe as hostile as they could be if they let Freeman go or something else crazy happens. But at the same time, like they don't have a lot of time here, and they have some real holes to fill because if you envision this roster without Freddie on it, there's just nothing there at first base. It's like they have a, a prospect ready to take over at first uh, or another plan B on the roster. So they have to make a move regardless at first base. And even if they just bring Freeman back, they're still probably down another outfielder. They have some real work to do here. So it's going to have to be quick. And I think, you know, there's kind of a curse of expectations because Everybody knows that the Braves just won the World Series with a very similar roster to the one that they could bring back if they want to. If they just bring the band back, the, the upside's pretty clear on the team. So, like, it's just a tougher sell to the public to not just go ahead and do that. And, yeah, it's one thing if you can make the best offer to Freddie, he just chooses to go somewhere else. Like, that's not impossible. Like, it's not an absolute given that Freddie just wants to be back in Atlanta. But if you don't offer him the most money and make that very clear that you offered him the best contract, there's going to be some blowback for sure. Does the Freeman contract, in your mind, Brad, have any impact on the outfielders that the Braves will sign or not sign? Does that I make sense? I, I mean, all those guys that are free agents. Yeah, you know, definitely. With... I think I think I think it could for sure. I mean, this is the thing about the Braves being the sort of black box that they are financially is that Anthopolis undoubtedly knows what he can spend, but he is not going to tell us what that number is. <laughs> uh, nor should he, I suppose. In terms, it'd be easier if we knew or if we had any faith that the Braves were going to stretch out. Because, like, logically, you would think they just won the World Series, made a ton of money in October that you could maybe boost some payroll a little bit this year. I think it's going to go up, but how much it goes up is sort of up for debate, and guys, guys are getting raises. So, like, yeah, I think that if they bring Freeman back at a $30 million-ish kind of contract per season, it might hamper them a little bit in the outfield, particularly when you realize that Marcelo Zuna is on this team making, you know, double-digit million dollars as well. So maybe that takes away one of the spots that they would like. I mean, I mean, if you're, if you're a fan, you shouldn't want that to happen. I think you should want the Braves to just sign everybody because of how much money they probably have on, on hand. But realistically, yeah, I think that bringing Freeman back might hamper them a little bit elsewhere. Yeah, and it's not our money, so I want them to spend no, it all. Exactly, as you should. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's move on from Freeman. Um, I know Spencer probably wanted to get to this, and, and I definitely wanted to also. Everything I read here – see about Marcelo Zuna leads me to a different conclusion. Is there any clarity at all to this Marcelo Zuna situation with the Braves, like a date that we can look forward to or a decision by the courts or a decision by somebody outside of the Braves that will tell us definitively that he's going to be on the roster and eligible? I mean, I think honestly, all indications are right now, you know, once he got the retroactive suspension back in, I think it was like late November, early December, something like that. Right. Um, he's eligible to play. Now, how much the team wants him around is a question mark, but he's under contract and making a bunch of money and they, and they have to pay him if he's, on, if he's on the team. There was an interview, I think it was like two weeks ago with Brian Snicker in the athletic where he kind of just acted like Ozuna was on the team. Like he didn't say anything super definitive. But it was kind of like, you know, he's on the team if he shows up kind of thing. Like, yeah, I am. I am in my, in my mind, they could trade him. But if they don't trade him, and by the way, trading him would be very difficult because teams are not going to want to take the PR hit to trade for him and then also pay him. Um, if they don't trade him, I think he'll be on the team and he's probably the opening day DH as long as the DH exists. So 
Uh, I am planning on that, honestly. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if, if something changed. But just given the financial aspect of this whole thing, which I know is unfortunate, it's kind of tough to root for Marcelo Zuna, in my opinion. But at the same time, just being realistic, they have to pay him for three more seasons at a considerable amount of money. So they're not going to just, you know, pay him to go away, I think. I think they're probably going to just put him out there, take the PR hit, and hopefully he helps them. Right. Yeah, I don't it, think it anybody's like... more excited to, that spring training has been delayed than Marcelo Zuna. Sorry, Spencer, go ahead. Yeah, maybe. Right. It, it seems like it would almost be way more of a PR disaster to bring Marcelo Zuna in in a trade than it would be just for the Braves to play him. You know what I mean? So yeah, maybe, like especially – yeah, I was going to say, especially when, like, you have the World Series Halo, you have this long offseason, um, and also, you know, going back to what we talked about a second ago, it's, it's going to be a circus, like, across baseball, trying to get Ray to play as fast as humanly possible. So there won't be the same focus on Ozuna coming back into the fold as there might be. I, I mean, I think that there should be some scrutiny locally, to be honest with you. Like, And again, I think it's kind of hard to root for him. But it's it's another thing entirely when your fan base is already conditioned to him being all him being around. Even if you don't love it, they already kind of know the deal. The fans do. Whereas if you trade for him, this guy who hasn't played in a year and has this domestic violence incident on his record, that is a probably a tougher sell. So I think I think you're right on that. Even though it's like it's kind of a brutal thing to think about in some ways, but I think that that's right. probably true. I think the Astros would probably do it. Honestly, they don't care at all. I don't think. <laughs> no, so, yeah. they don't have any shame. Um. <laughs> I just have a, a few guys listed that I wanted to just ask you about, just like their general future with the Braves. Uh, Dansby Swanson's contract to me has sort of just been under the radar in you know, the last 18 months, and for good reason. Obviously, we just talked about there's been a dozen other things going on with the Braves and bigger contracts than his. But, but you know, he, he's sort of right in the middle, I would think. Most Braves fans like him, certainly most female Braves fans like Dansby Swanson, what do you what do you think his future is with the Braves specifically moving forward? He's really, really interesting, honestly, because the way I would describe Dansby, um, I think in 2020, the short season, he was better than this. But if you zoom out like the last three full seasons, he's basically been the epitome of a league average starting shortstop, which is like a yeah. pretty good player. It's a very useful player. It's a guy who makes money. Um, it's a guy that you probably want on your team. But he's not a top 10 shortstop. He's not even a top 15 shortstop if you go by the metrics in the last two, three years. And, like, he'll be a free agent at the end of the season. So, I mean, there's the local aspect. You know, he's got local ties. They traded for him. He has was on the World Series team, of course. You mentioned he's popular locally. That's definitely true. But also, he's not good enough where you couldn't look to upgrade. So it's this really interesting situation where I think it matters a lot what he does this year. Like, I think he was pretty good last season. Um career high home runs, et cetera. But even then he was like a league average hitter. He's a better than average defender. So like he was still a good player last season, but if he does that, if he does that again, he'll probably be do some real money, even arbitration. He's probably gonna get like $10 million this year. And I would say yeah. probably beyond that much if he replicates last season. So I honestly have, I wish I could tell you the better answer. I don't know what Anthopolis thinks about Swanson enough to know if he's going to like prioritize keeping him around because they have the inside track. He's on the team now that could even extend it if they wanted to, but there's no signs of that happening. So like once, once the guy hits, hits for agency, as we've seen with Freeman, it's kind of like all bets are off and he's not Freeman. So uh, prior, priorities are kind of uh, what comes into play there. And I, just to follow up quickly on that, Brad, I would guess he's the next big name that's a free agent for the Braves outside of Freeman. I, I'm not sure what Max Freed's contract looks like. 
Yeah, uh, Swanson's the only guy in the next couple of years of like the real core that is right. uh, that's going to be up in free agency. Um, of course, other than Freddie, like beyond that, you have a couple more years of arbitration on most of the guys. Like I think, yeah, Freed's twenty twenty five. He'd be the next one after Dansby in terms of like actually hitting the market. Um, but you know, your Ian Andersons, your Austin Rileys, uh, of course, Cunha and Albies are under contract for a while. So yeah, he's really the only prominent guy that's up anytime soon. Okay, I had two more on the Braves. Spencer, did you want to? Did you have anything else on the Braves? No, I've got a whole bunch of Hawks questions. So yeah, I'm gonna let you carry the load on the Hawks portion, um, or I should say the Atlanta professional basketball franchise, since they're not. Oh yeah, Brad, we're uh, we're boycotting the Hawks right now. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Interesting. Well, we watch them every that. game, but we just can't call them H A W K S until they're over 500. <laughs> um, I understand. Hey, I wanted to ask about the catcher position. Like, sorry to be so inside baseball, but there's a lot of sort of question marks around that position amongst other positions as well for the Braves. But they signed uh, Manny Pena, the pineapple, great nickname, in the offseason. But they also have Contreras and Langoliers um, in the wings. Do you potentially see one one of those names, Darno, Pena, Langoliers, and Contreras, one of those names being on the move? in a trade if a guy like Matt Olson were to come back? Like, is that yeah, where the spots they would pick from? I think it'd be a, a very obvious place to go in terms of like, if they were to make a big splash trade this offseason, which, by the way, Anthopolis has never done. That's always important yeah. to point out. Like, last year, they made all the, tra- all the deals that kind of helped them win the World Series, but they gave up very, very little in those trades. He has still never traded a top 10 or 12 prospect in the system at any point. So it'd be a new territory for him. But let's, let's just say Matt Olson, it'll cost a lot. And I, I do think that it would be very, very easy. Well, not easy is the wrong word. Maybe very obvious to include either Contreras or Langoliers because you have two of those guys and you have pretty stable major league catching. Like Darno and Pena are, are, are in, in their 30s. They're not young guys. But as long as you keep one of your prospects to catcher, you're probably in good shape. And those are also two of your better guys in terms of prospects. And if, you, if it's Matt Olson in particular, like you mentioned, it'll cost a lot. I think people yeah. kind of underestimate how much that how much prospect capital it takes to trade for a guy like Matt Olson, who's a, like a legitimate star under contract for a while. So, yeah, I think if I was to guess what a package would look like for Matt Olson, it would almost certainly include one of the, one of the catchers. Okay, last one for the Braves. I wanted to ask you, this time last year – Going into the 2021 season, were your expectations higher for the Braves entering last season than they are this season? Ooh, that's interesting. I think that probably not, but that's a huge caveat. Like, if they bring Freeman back, it'll be this year. Um, if they don't bring Freeman back, it'll be last year. Does that make sense? Like, I think Freeman's yeah. that important. Um, you know, I thought that they were going to win the division last year. They were a good team, but I was not like totally sold on them as a contender. Obviously, I was wrong about that. They ended up winning the World Series. But if you look at it, they were extremely ordinary for like 80% of last season. <laughs> like they were uh, not a very good baseball team for a long time last year. And they, they caught lightning in the bottle. And that was obviously a lot of fun. But I'm still not sure like how good they are, as crazy as that sounds, after the, after winning the World Series. Yeah. Because it was such a weird season like where they were genuinely not very good for like three months. And then they got so hot and won the World Series. So, like, how good are they? We'll see. But I do think the roster, as constructed right now with the holes, has some real questions. But if you assume that they, like, fill it in with Freeman and another starting pitcher or another outfielder, then, yeah, I'll start buying this year a little bit more. And I probably would have, um, in terms of just, like, 
projections. I probably have them a little bit higher this, this time around. You heard it here first, 2023 World Series champs, Brad Rowland State. It's in pl- listen, it's in play. I'm not, I, I, it's so funny. Like, this is going to sound crazy, and I will, I'll shut up, I promise. It is very, very possible that the Braves could be better this year and lose in the first round of the playoffs. Does, does that make sense? Just because yeah. of like yeah. actual team quality, when you factor in just the randomness of baseball in the playoffs, like the team could be in terms of just overall team quality better this year, and they could just like kind of harmlessly lose in like five games in the playoffs. And it's very possible. It's just the that's just the thing about baseball. Like you could have a team like like the Braves last year that just gets super hot and rides it all the way, or you could have a team like last year's Giants that was like 130 games in the regular season and then they play them out. So it's baseball, right? The one the thing that this year's team. The one thing that this year's team Go has ahead, going Jeff. for him is that is that Pablo Sandoval won't be on the opening day roster, so that's <laughs> a godsend. That, that is true. He will not be. The Savannah Adult Baseball League has three divisions, aged 18+, plus, 30+, plus, and 40+, plus, and it is Savannah's official affiliate of the United States Association or the United States Adult Baseball Association. Opening day is Sunday, March 13th. You can sign up now as a free agent or for a specific team at savmabl.com. That's savmabl.com. Opening day, Sunday, March 13th. Go on, sign up if you want to play competitive baseball at really quality fields across the city. Most games are on Sunday afternoons, um, and the season lasts basically all spring and through most of the summer. So you want to sign up. This is a really competitive league, and it's for people who maybe don't get their itch scratched by slow-pitch softball. Over 250 players since 2006. Savannah Adult Baseball League on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or savmabl.com. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players from ages 8 to 80. Think about that. 8 to 80 is a young man's game. Full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, helping us out sponsoring the Hot Grits podcast. Give him a call, 912-484-5282. Um, well, so the Braves were a game or two under 500 at the All-Star break last year. There's another Atlanta team that's a game or two under 500 at their All-Star break. Quite a different All-Star break in the timing of it. That's a different conversation. But the Atlanta professional basketball franchise, uh, Spencer, I'll let you take over and lead the way on this. Right. So we'll uh, we'll keep that same theme uh, comparing last year to this year. The Hawks are in a remarkably similar position as they were last year. Um What's different about this run compared to last year? Because it felt like last year they were primed for 
you know, a little bit of a breakout. Um, I felt like they were undervalued coming into the second half. And I still feel like they're undervalued this year, but it feels different this season, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's important to point out, I think you even mentioned it a second ago, um, last year's All-Star break was in the middle of the season. And this year's All-Star right. break is not in the middle of the season. So, like, they've had a, lar- a larger sample of not being very good this year than they did last year. And also, last year's team, like, had very obvious injury issues, like, throughout the season. Whereas this year, they had the pretty brutal, like, three-week COVID spell when they got very unlucky, where they basically started getting COVID as soon as the NBA changed the rules and made every team use replacement players, and they got really kind of penalized by that. But in terms of, like, injuries, they've had some, for sure. Hunter missed some time, et cetera. But, like, they've been healthier this year than last year. And that's kind of maybe frustrating and maybe also a little bit ominous because I fully believe that they're better than this, but they have a lot less time this time around to make up ground. And also the Eastern conference is better this year. Like last year, they had a pretty clear run in terms of they they played great, but they also had teams that were vulnerable. I would say ahead of them this year, there are a couple I might say that about, but like the East is a lot deeper. So I also, I think the Hawks are like as good or better as last year right now, but I think that they just have a lot a lot bigger hill to climb because of just how long and how bad the start was. Agreed entirely. Um, I, I think a lot of that playoff run last year was they were able to jump out to one elites. You know what I mean? Every single round, they punch people in the mouth. And I don't think they're going to have that this year. As bad as I want that, I don't, I don't think people are going to under, you know, Bro, they might not even not make the playoffs. I was going to say that a yeah, few they minutes, might not because true. Like, they are not a lock to make the playoffs. Now, I, I think that they are going to make the play-in. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't make, they didn't make the play-in. But, yeah, it's it's a new battle. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. And also, I'm not saying this to be a negative person because I think that I'm pretty high on the Hawks overall. But they had a very favorable draw in the playoffs in the first two rounds last year. Like, the Knicks yeah. were about as bad of a 4-5 seed as, the, as you're ever going to see. And then, the, and then Philly pretty visibly just collapsed because Ben Simmons forgot, forgot about the basketball. So, like – the Hawks had to do that. The Hawks had to take advantage of it. So credit to them. And they, they had to earn it, to be sure. But, like, the combination of factors was uh, in their favor, let's just say. Well, I wanted to add, just because, look, I'm not an Atlanta professional basketball franchise fan, but <laughs> I watch a lot of their games. And I, I find myself getting so frustrated with them, even though I'm not, like, a fan of the, te- of the team. I just get so frustrated with them. Like, they're terrible on defense, Brad. They're 29th, I think, per 100. Uh, defensive team but they're not that on paper are they like the roster is not the 29th worst defensive roster in the league is it like shouldn't we be expecting a little bit more from like each of those guys that are bad defenders like shouldn't we be expecting at least a little bit more yes I I think that it's important to like keep in mind that this team is not very good on defense in terms of just talent overall but they're still better than they've been this year if that makes sense like I think people kind of underestimate how much defensive talent matters in the NBA because there's there's this long notion of how defense is just like energy and effort and coaches say that and fans say it and analysts say it and it's true like you have to play hard you have to play with energy you have to execute and all that stuff but I think that in the NBA you still have to have defensive talent like energy and effort help you a lot but the Hawks just don't have a great defensive roster if we're being honest like they have a below average defensive roster talent wise, but it's not bottom five bad. And that's where my frustration is as well. Like I think that this team last year kind of proved that they can be 
respectable on defense. They were never great. They got a little bit hot in the second half of the last season defensively. But I think that coming into the year, I would have told you, like, the recipe for this team is, like, you know, top five offense and, like, top 18 defense, something like that. Um, that's a good team. But what's not a good team is top two offense and bottom three defense, bottom four defense, because that's a 500 team, which is where they are right now, basically. So there's a baseline you have to achieve. Like, I know – you know, offense carries the day a lot of times in the modern NBA, but you can't be 27th in defense. Like it's, it's almost impossible to be a good, like a capital G good team and be a bottom five defense. So they have to find that, that next level up where they're, they're like respectable. And until they do that, like you can't sort of string wins together in my line. Yeah. They gotta be right. And a, a lot of people forget that that's kind of what powered their run towards the end of last year is they played, if not great defense, they played Decent defense. They definitely Much played better. above yeah. their potential. Yep. You know, they were, they were like um, a top 12 defense in the second half of last season, something like that, which I'm not sure is sustainable to be honest, but they did do it for like a 30 game sample. So like they're capable of it at least. Yeah. Right. I, I did want to ask you this. Uh, I don't know if this is scheme or personnel, but as far back as like four years, it seems like this team never really gambles on defense if that makes sense they're, they're not aggressive on defense a lot of times they'll play good defense and they'll still have teams go off and have crazy shooting nights on them with hands in their face because it seems like they never cause turnovers or any kind of mayhem do you think that scheme and do you think causing a few more turnovers might you know turn this team around like I, i'm searching for answers here but like it, it's just always boggled my mind that with a team that has this kind of deficient deficiencies on defense that they don't try for a few more steals. I think yeah. they're second in turnovers forced or second in turnovers committed, like fewest per game, 12.7. And yeah. then they force the second fewest per game, the exact same number, 12.7. Yeah, basically for even last year. So it wasn't like they have to do this, quote unquote, because they were, like we said a second ago, they were good enough last year. But the last two seasons, they've been like bottom three in the league and turnovers forced. And part of it is scheme. They are, a real, it's a relatively conservative scheme. They, they play drop coverage, which I'm not going to go super into the weeds on, but they have a traditional center in Capella. They, they, they play a little bit, um, sort of that drop back, less aggressive style. And also just personnel wise, again, like who, who are the guys on the team that are going to go out there and create steals? Like if you, if you go player for player, even DeAndre Hunter, who's their best defender on the perimeter, is not a steals guy. Like he's a big yeah. physical stay in front of you kind of guy. It's kind of ironic. Their their best sort of gambler steals guy was Cam Reddish. And he had other yeah. problems for sure. Like he had other other shortcomings and all that stuff. We can get into that later. But I think he he was their one like sort of defensive playmaker on the perimeter. But you go you go down from Trey Young to Kevin Herter to McDonovich, et cetera. They don't really have a lot of playmakers on defense. So I think part of its scheme, part of its personnel, and they they kind of on purpose give other stuff away to take back what they're good at. Like last year they were in the top eight or 10 and like field goal percentage allowed. They're good on the glass. They don't really foul a lot too. So there's some give and take there. Yeah. What you don't want to have is like no turnovers created and then also foul a lot, which the Hawks don't do. So that that's kind of the trade off is that I think they pretty much sort of change out, change out that aggressiveness to keep people off the free throw line, which obviously it's not working this season, but I kind of get it with the yeah. Um, we we said on the last episode, I believe, um, that Nate McMillan, there was no chance he was going to get fired this year, no matter what he did. He could go out and lose 82 games. Coach he probably McNate. wasn't going to get fired. Yeah. Um, but how likely do you see 
a coaching change if the Hawks fail to make the playoffs? Because I believe it's I believe it's extremely likely. I, I think I might be in the minority there. Um, it's really a question for Tony Ressler, as funny as that sounds, because, you know, usually a coach, especially a guy like Nate, who is an established, you know, there's obviously anytime a team underachieves, the coach gets black and that's just the way things go. But McMillan's been a head coach for like 20 years. He's very well respected. He's very well liked around the league. And the way that I would describe it, Millen is like, he's not an elite coach and he's not a bottom five coach. And there's this huge morass in the middle of NBA coaches where they're kind of all the same. Like they have different, they have different strengths and weaknesses for sure. And Nate is more of like a, you know, locker room guy who, you know, emphasizes certain things, but he's not a huge difference maker in my mind, positively and not negatively either. Like he, I think he's just totally fine. The thing yeah, is, right. He, he got, he got the, he got the extension and he earned it, you know, the way they closed last season, like he was going to be the guy almost certainly the entire way through that run. But he got a multi-year contract, and if you're Tony Wrestler, do you feel strongly enough to, A, fire him, and then also, B, pay him for multiple seasons, while then, C, hiring another guy who is a big enough deal to, like, appease Trey Young and, like, give you a splash? Because if you're firing at McMillan to hire a first-time head coach who's, like, not, you know, proven anything – that doesn't really make a ton of sense, like just for where they are. You know, when they when they hired when they hired Lori Pierce, it was like, all right, we're in the middle of a rebuild. Let's take a chance on this young guy who's a first time head coach. When you're trying to win, you don't usually do that. Like it's usually you're trying to find like the the more established guy. So I still think I would guess he is not fired. Um, but I will just acknowledge that if it's bad at the end of the season and the owner, I want to stress the owner, not the GM, but the owner comes in and is like, this guy's gone, and I'll pay him. That's something different because owners are always uh, the wild card in this thing. I think if it's Travis Schlenk, he gets he gets another year. If it goes badly next year, then the seat becomes very hot. Brad, do you think that when they traded Cam Reddish to the Knicks, when Travis Schlenk did that deal, did do you think that he was thinking that was the last deal that they were going to do before the trade deadline? I think that he thought it might be. Um, and again, I'm I'm reading between the lines and stuff I hear. Sure, I'm not gonna, sure. I'm not speaking on behalf of Travis, but. I think that he kind of mentioned when they did the deal that he was doing it early to see what sparked. And people were like, what do you mean? Like you're trading away for, you're trading away someone to get, to get a first round pick basically. But I think what he said without saying it, he's never said this, but I think he kind of knew that maybe just removing Cam wouldn't maybe help them because Cam was not helping them. Um, I'm someone who thinks Reddish can be a good player down the line, but at the moment he's not a very good player. And I think they kind of knew that, and they were gonna—they they had to play him. That was the thing. Like, if he's on the team, he's got to play, and yeah. he was not helping them. Um, so I think that was like they went—they moved early to see what would happen. I think he made a ton of calls, and honestly, if they hadn't won that, that seven games in a row winning streak, they would have done something. I'm almost confident in that, just because there was so much chatter around Jeremy Grant and the Ben Simmons stuff and whatever else. And as soon as they started winning, it got real quiet. And that's not always an indicator, but it did seem to me like they, like, they, like the, uh, whoever was panicking, whether it would be Travis or ownership, somebody was just like, all right, I'm not, I'm not totally losing my mind anymore and we don't have to do something. I think they were still making calls, but, um, I think honestly, more so than the Reddish deal, them having that winning streak when, when they, when they did it was probably the biggest reason why they didn't do anything. And then they turn around and get smushed by the Spurs. 
Just oh man, I, I've done so many rants about that game, and I, I'm not someone who does like the game to game, like high low. I'm very even keel. That's like part of my brand, I think. But that was such a terrible loss, and I, I couldn't believe they did it. I mean, they, they came out after everything else, and they just got smoked at home by, by San Antonio. I was like, man, that's a loss you cannot have this season when you've dug yourself a hole. And uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the year, if they are in the 10 seed instead of the 9 seed because of that game, just circle that one. That was that was a bad loss. Brutal. And when the Hawks are bad, they're prone to losses like that. And they have been for two yeah. plus years. Now. Yeah, like when they're up um, by 17 on Houston, a terrible Houston team at the time, and then they blow that game. Yeah. Yeah, there, there have been was... three or four losses this year that have been like head shaking. I just think that that one against San Antonio, because of when it happened, because of like everyone knew at that point that they kind of had to be not perfect, but they, they couldn't have any more of those games. And they did it anyway. And that's that's the one where it gets you because early in the season it's like all right they're just it's early in the year they're sleepwalking whatever yeah it's still early game game fifty five to lose that game to the Spurs was just like woo you can't do that that's tough that's tough well Brad I wanna I wanna hit you with my least favorite question that I get all the time um, <laughs> here we go a lot of noise gets made about the roster construction how they clearly went with depth over a second star. Um, a lot of it is because the second star just wasn't available. Um, I think everybody who follows this team closely knows that if, if like a LeBron or a KD came available, they would have thrown everything in their power to get a guy like that. You know what I mean? But when you look across the league, is there a player that is either disgruntled or soon to be available in free agency or you think could be had in a trade? that you would pair next to Trey Young? Because I look across, and I'm not sure that I see one that is worth trading a John Collins or a Jalen Johnson or a combination thereof. Do you see any guys like that? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. I mean, you said it was your least favorite question, and it's also mine, just because, <laughs> Great question. you know, fake, fake trades are so hard to do, particularly for stars, because, you know, fan bases always want to trade as little as possible for a star, and it's just what it is. But uh, the biggest thing that you asked there is, like, who is the next guy who's disgruntled? And that's what we don't know because the players who right now who have not been traded, but are often associated with being traded in the near future is like Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal and Donovan Mitchell. And those guys are all like bad fits with Trey young. Like they're all yeah, good players, yeah. but they're all bad fits with Trey young. Um, maybe Zion, like there's some Zion noise now in new Orleans. Cause like, it's not going well there. Um, but at, at the same time, we're not quite there. I don't think to him like being available, um, I've always kind of circled Jalen Brown as an interesting guy because he's from here. But Boston's been hot recently. I, I think that they, if they if they had a flame out in the playoffs, Boston, and it was like, you know, it's time to break these guys up, maybe you get in the mix there. And he's more of a good fit with Trey than some of the other guys. But at the end of the day, I, I have trouble with this too. Like, I can't tell you a name that is A, available, and B, fits well with the Hawks. Like, Ben Simmons was pretty interesting to me, but – I wasn't in love with it either. Like, I think the Hawks could have made a reasonable offer for Ben Simmons, and I would have been okay with it. But given what he got traded for, that was never going to happen. Like, they were never right. going to be able to match James Harden for Ben Simmons. So, uh, you know, trying to find the guy who's both available enough and who fits with the Hawks is tough, but you're just kind of relying on a guy to not want to be there because the Hawks are going to be over the cap for a long time. Like, any notion of salary cap space from now until – you know, the next three years probably is kind of out the window. Like they're gonna have to trade for somebody. Right. There's, there's no, there's no like finding a guy who just wants to come here for agency. They're gonna have to find, find a guy who wants out of the current situation and also wants to come here because that's the secret in the NBA right now is that 
most of the time, a guy who's an actual star, when they want to get traded, they can kind of lead where they go, at least to some extent, and they yeah. have to want to come to Atlanta too. <laughs> right. A lot of the uh, Zion noise has been me on Twitter uh, using <laughs> several thousand burners. That's um, fine. I mean, listen, uh, him him not wanting to be in New Orleans is going to be a major, major, major story in the coming months in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that means he's going to want to come to the Hawks, but, you know, it would make some sense if he were to get out of there. Um, but if you're in New Orleans, like, it's such a mess. Like, they don't want to trade him, very obviously. It's going to take him wanting to be out. But of course. Um, this is the rep of spe- speculation portion of the podcast, obviously. But, no, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I, people ask me that all – I mean, I'm sure you guys know this. People ask me that all the time. It's like, who's the second star? And I, I wish I had an answer for you. But I really don't. Then you try to explain to them that John Collins is really good, but he's not he great, is very good. He's really good, but I like Listen, him, but he's not John great. Collins, I love John Collins. I think he's a top, like, 40 guy in the league, 45 guy in the league, which is a really, really, really good player. It's just that if you're going to try to win a title, he probably isn't your second best player on a title. He needs to be like, the third guy. Yes. If he's your third guy, you are in phenomenal shape. And, again, I am – I think I'm higher on Collins than most people that are rational in the world. It's just that he's not the perfect number two because of, you know, all things you can get into later on. But yeah, it's not, it's not even like an anti-Collins thing. It's just that, and he's not the guy, I mean, this is a whole other thing. I think, I think because he's making real money now, Hawks fans think he's got to have to be a different guy and suddenly be this superstar player. And no, like he's, he's appropriately paid. Like he's making what he should make. He's a good player. He's been a good player this this season it's just that he's not, you know, Jason Tatum or whatever. Yeah, he plays his balls off too. Like he, yeah, he I mean, plays hard. Like he plays really hard. And there, I know that's not what you pay the guy for to do the. No, but it matters. It matters, hard. man. But yeah, it matters. it matters. And it's like and he's been awesome like on defense for two years, and people won't acknowledge it. Uh, trust <laughs> me, I listen. I am someone who, when they drafted him and before the draft, covering that draft. I was quick to point out Collins is a very bad defender in college. He was a very bad defender early in his NBA career. But, and I think because of that, that evaluation has not made, has not gone off of him in some circles, both locally and also nationally. People don't watch the Hawks that much, but yeah, I'm with you. I think he's been at worst an average defender for like two and a half years. Now I, I think a little bit better than that, honestly, but there's this, you know, they say pre-draft stuff just kind of lingers forever on guys. And I think that's part of what that is. Cause he actually was bad at one point defensively. He's just not anymore. And people, if you watch him, it's very obvious he's not bad. It's just that you have to watch him. Yeah. That's Agreed. the key. Anything <laughs> else, Spencer? No, that's it for me, Brad. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Love the show. Yeah. This was oh, no, fucking thanks. awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on. Did you, Brad, did you want to plug anything else? Um, tell people how to follow you or listen to your stuff. Yeah, best place is on Twitter. I'm at BT Roland. Uh, I host two podcasts. Locked on Hawks is now available on video. Uh, YouTube subscriptions are apparently uh, huge, I'm told, by my higher-ups. So please go ahead and subscribe to that podcast on YouTube as well as Apple and everywhere else. And then Talking Shop on the baseball side. That one's a little bit less frequent, but, you know, once a week or so for me. And also it's kind of a full network now. We probably have three or four shows a week there. So the, both Hawks and Braves are covered. And, uh, again, BT Roland on Twitter to find all of it. Awesome, Brad. Hey, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, guys.